Welcome to the Hospitality Maverick podcast with me, Michael Tinkser. We at Hospitality Mavericks are here to inspire leaders to create heart-centered and profitable businesses from the inside out, the kind to both employees and customers love and support. Thanks to BizSimply for sponsoring this episode as our show partner. And BizSimply is the all-in-one HR, workforce management, roads and operations software designed and built by hospitality experts to make every shift run like clockwork. And we join forces to help the industry to find new ways to become even more innovative in how we lead our people, how we operate, to how we grow our businesses, to how we serve our customers. Together, we want to share strategies and tools that can make the industry thrive long-term, not just survive. I feel that people panic when they're in restaurants and and they sort of kowtow to what you know, reviewers might say or what customers say. And I think you just need to stick to your guns. You're not going to please everyone and that's fine. But the ones you do please, I mean, the people who are fans of St. John are, are like the more fans than either of us are. They're just crazy about it. And that's what you want. This is John Spiteri, a maverick and veteran when it comes to hospitality. He was one of the founding partners of St. John and he's been part of many top restaurants in London. You will actually run out of fingers naming the places where he's been the main man at the door. And John shared what he's been learning being part of hospitality for the last four decades and what he learned when opening a new restaurant with the pressure of the pandemic and the Brexit. He shares how they are approaching this upcoming opening very different than he would have done in the past due to these challenges. You will find that John is still very optimistic on his outlook for the industry and he claims that he still have a lot to fare with it. We talk about there was already pre-pandemic some clear issues around the industry where we needed to change and John especially talks about how we now more than ever need to integrate our people much better into our businesses so they can get involved and get the training they need to be successful. And then they can see the industry as a career choice rather than something in between. John shares the power of having a clear vision as well as principles and then go out there and execute on them relentlessly. He also gives some solid advice around avoiding getting impacted by others' opinions like your colleagues, your food critiques and reviews. He says, stick to your guns. Before you tune in, please sign up to our weekly newsletter packed with more Maverick insights and strategies and tools. Find the link in the show notes or visit hospitalitymavericks.com. But now, please grab a drink, your notebook, and let's get started learning from four decades of hospitality experience. I'm super excited about today's conversation because we're going to dive into for more than four decades of hospitality experience, not just from London, but all over the world. And for this, I, I have John with me here on the podcast. And uh, as uh, John don't need much introduction, but we're going to come back to that in a second. And we're going to talk about, you know, his journey. But I think more relevant, what he takes from that journey into the situation we're in today, where we are, in principle, what I call creating a new paradigm for, for hospitality all around the world. And I think that's the interesting thing. This is not like a regional thing. It's not a thing that happens in Europe. Hospitality is changing rapidly across the whole world. And that was the conversation I had with John prior to this conversation. But with that said, welcome to the show, John. It's a great to have you. 
Thank you, Michael. It's very lovely to be here. And uh, John, for, for, for people that, that doesn't know who you are and what you have been involved in, can can you just give them like a like a brief summary of of your, your hospitality journey and where you are today and what's coming up ahead for you? Okay. Well, yes, as you say, I've been around uh, a long, long time. Um, I suppose. Uh, where did it start? My my parents were uh, were Tunisian. Uh, my mother's still alive, and they came to England in 1957 and opened a guest house um, in Tunbridge Wells, Kent, and that's where I was born. And uh, so I was brought up in this guest house, and they had a cafe. It's quite, they, you know, they were Tunisian. They had a cafe called the Norseman Cafe with trolls in the windows, plastic trolls, and they had, uh, uh, and they cooked English food up in their sort of 18-room guest house. Um, and my sister and I were brought up there. And then, um, and actually, it was at that time I thought, I don't really want to be in catering. It's just, um, it seemed to be like 24 hours a day job uh, for them. I never really spent much time with them. And I thought, this is a, a terrible lifestyle. But of course, um, as soon as I started working, I ended up working in restaurants. I left school quite early and um, started working in a, a restaurant in the Fulham Road called Parsons as a, I was a busboy and uh, and I just loved it. Immediately I was there I felt like it was the most exciting world to be in. It was when uh, the Rocky Horror Show had just opened up in uh, the King's Road and the, all these incredible people were coming into the restaurant and I thought oh I love this. Actually Alistair Little worked there as well who's uh, one of my great mentors in the, in the restaurant business and from then on it was like non-stop just restaurants restaurants and bars um i worked in the kitchen i worked behind the bar i ended up being a maitre d i ended up being manager uh owner and and just and and have never really not loved it i mean it's been difficult but i've not not loved it um and uh and now i'm about to open another restaurant so yeah <laughs> it's been my life The interesting thing is that you've actually been part, and you didn't mention it, but you've been quite a part of some quite iconic places in the, in in London, as is, and also LA for that sake. But uh, St John's is probably one of one of the biggest uh, uh, one, and they're still still around today, uh, as I know, even after the pandemic as well, still around with a, a super super interesting concept compared to what we're going to be talking about today because i guess that what you learned at st john's keeping it simple and honest uh, in a way is the way forward we're going to come back to that in a second uh, but well, where do you see the the industry because it's so interesting there's been a lot of talk about you know surviving the pandemic we've gone through the pandemic what i would like us to think talk a bit about is about how do you see the industry evolved after this pandemic does really have shaken up Something in my view, and maybe you disagree on this, was already coming. There was already a change coming. The pandemic just accelerated that change very quickly. I think you're right. Um, I think I think the industry needs to change. I mean, that's a, a much broader conversation. Um, but uh, how do I see it? I think that I, I want to be positive about it. Um, I think what we've learned is, and you know, I'm. We're about to open a restaurant, and we're finding it's really difficult to get staff. With not only with the pandemic, but of course with Brexit as well. But um, and we're now, which is you know one of the themes of this conversation for me, if I was thinking about my whole uh, life in hospitality, is the importance of staff and 
and how we have to incorporate them in our business model, really, because um, without them, we're nothing. And this is, this is what we found is that, first of all, the cost of produce is going to be skyrocketing. I think the types of restaurants are going to be seriously looked at and and actually the ones that that aren't different enough aren't interesting enough are going to go by the wayside and the staff that we have now are going to have to be looked after uh interested and and have a future in this business because otherwise i think we've we've for a long time we've hired people that have done it temporarily they've done it just to put themselves through university or the actors and all of that stuff and now it's uh, you know we need to find career people who want to make this a career so there's so many things that are going to have to change and i hope for the good actually i i, I hope that we're you know talking about food i hope we 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 buy good produce and we pay farmers the proper value for their produce. And I hope that we look after staff that they're not just beholden to tips, but they're paid well and they're looked after. So these are the positive things I want to take out of the pandemic. And there's a lot of negative things, that's for certain. Yeah, and uh, you you talked about the challenge with with staff, which is quite imminent right now. Uh, you talk, and you also mentioned you know, making staff a part of the model. When they, What are you meaning with that? Do you mean that we maybe have seen them as an add-on like almost like an app on your phone and not part of the the operating system before yes i think i think that we i mean i've always made it my um duty to know what our staff want from the the jobs that they have i mean some people just want to spend their time there and make money pay for holidays that's all fine that's you know whatever they want but others want to do more and i think we have to offer more training more incentives um tell them about our future what we're expecting so really involve them in the business i think lots of people want to know how the restaurant business works rather than we sort of more private about that side of things i think we need to be more transparent then they understand that actually our costs are much higher than they, they imagine. They see, they see the receipts, they see the till receipts, but they don't really see the cost. So I think it's more of an involvement, more of a, a, a communication with our staff. And, um, and, you know, without them, we are nothing. There is no doubt about it. And I think now, you know, we're, we're having to see that. I mean, I think, I hope that I've always seen that, but I, I, I think it's being forced on us a lot more now. Um, and that's a good thing. Yeah, it's interesting you're saying there because I was thinking about. I did an interview a couple of weeks ago with a a big a big uh, you know personal hero of myself, the Singermans in the U.S., where they are part of the model. They are, and then when they get them on board, they actually you know they know they need some partners for the future to the business. So when they onboard people, they say the ultimate goal is that you potentially become a partner. So therefore, we're gonna not focusing on making you a great employee, but a great business person. And from day one, they're involved in looking at the numbers. They have like these weekly sessions looking at numbers and have this open book management approach. Just as one example to to add on what you're saying. And and they, of course, they felt the pandemic, but nobody have left them. 
uh, and they can still recruit people because it's they are offering a different value proposition than their competitors in the, the local area. And people know that because they've done this for 39 years. This is not something they have invented overnight. But they, again, and I think that there's some big, there's some great learnings already for established operators out there that does these things and where the, the people function is, is part of the model, as you say. Absolutely. I love that idea. I mean, I like, it's the same as the sort of John Lewis model where all the staff are partners and i think i think i think sort of the government have to take that into account as well i think that's how it needs to be sort of um from a sort of tax and um uh, an overall business sense it has to be like that and because in the end at the moment there are ways in which the tax isn't being paid properly and the staff aren't being paid properly and all this is to sort of um it's a it's a it's a strange business model, the restaurant model, and it has to change in that way. And um, and I think that's the way. I think it's going to be forced on us. And I like that idea. I like the idea that they. And I think a lot of people, a lot of people might not be interested in making this a career, but the the ones that are, we need to support and look after. Yeah, and I think I think that's interesting as well. Getting our heads around that, you know, the, the transient workforce we had before is gone, and now we actually need to focusing on the people that really want them because they're still there. I talk with them every day, uh, even younger generation the ones to, but they just can't see the road ahead. They just think, what what am I getting besides, you know, incredible hard work hours? What I'm also getting on on the other side? What is the, what is the journey for me? Can you map it out for me? They often say. What about um, what have been some of your learnings? Like you had already, you know, massive, you know, experience in in the restaurant market and actually preparing opening a restaurant, you know, probably pre-pandemic, uh, and then it's been postponed to 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 after, you know, where we're starting opening up now. Um, what, what has been your learnings about what 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 big big uh, questions have you, you know, been pondering about? If you mean through the pandemic, then um, specifically, then I think, I think we have to. Well, I mean, if I say my my big learning in in the restaurant world has always been, um, if you have an idea, stick with your idea. I mean, I think the thing is sometimes what happens is that you have an idea about a restaurant and then you get swayed because you see what other people are doing and you see you you try to compete with them. I think it was very adamant when we opened. St. John, well, we, you know, before we opened the French house, we, you know, we had this little room above the French house pub um, and, and we were only really going to do it for a few months. We were going to see how it worked. Um, this room was tiny. It had like, it had a piano in it and it had paintings in it and about, I think about 20 covers at that point. We got rid of the piano. We put another table or two in. We got 30 covers out of it. We took the paintings away. And we opened this restaurant, Fergus, Margot and I, and and it was fantastic. And what we did, we did what we wanted. And that was the point. It wasn't, we didn't try to, you know, we had, I remember on the first menu, we had corn on the cob with, you know, with butter for ATP. And it was just, we did what we thought people would like and people did like it. And then when Fergus and I went to open St. John and then Melanie joined Margot at the French house, St. John, we were very clear about what we wanted there. We wanted a very utilitarian space. Fergus was, you know, the designer, the architect in all of that. And he, um, and we had these rules, we had these sort of five rules, which was no service charge, no, no, um, okay, no flowers, no music, no art, no service charge, and no uh, garnish on the plates. And they were the sort of, the, the five sort of St. John rules. Um, and 
and we stuck to that. And, we, and you know, at the beginning, we were very quiet. It has to be said. We had a we had our third partner, who is Trevor, who you know tried to say that we needed to change things. You know, sort of put some more colour in, put some flowers, hang some paintings, play some music, do something. And we stuck to our guns. And I and I'm really glad we did. Hence, you know, it's still there. Twenty. Well, nearly thirty years later. So, I think I think you have to be very clear about your idea, whatever it is, and and stick to it. I I I feel that people panic when they open restaurants and they um and they sort of kowtow to what you know reviewers might say or what um what um uh, customers say. And I think you just need to stick to your guns. You're not going to please everyone, and that's fine. But the ones you do please, I mean, the people who are are fans of St. John are, are like they're more they're more fans than you know than either of us are. They're just crazy about it, and that's what you want. It is so interesting. With I was making a bit of notes as you were talking, John, and I think like that, like that clarity of that vision you have for a place, you need to keep that. That's what you're saying, and I think that's like many actually forget to spend time on that when they start out because. It sounded like you had a very clear vision and you had some very clear principles for how to execute that vision, what the rules were, your laws almost. And they, I guess they still come in place today. They haven't been changed. That's that's the recipe. Uh, and I think too many times I agree with you that we, in whatever we do in life, we just move it move the the goalpost sometimes or the vision and we get a we get you know uh, impacted or influenced by you know people has opinions but they're not you and you already had that client there it's so interesting you get it was like a timeless reflection you had more than there was like you know a, a thing in the pandemic you really said well what i learned was to implement technology so i really like that um is there anything now talking about the pandemic? Is there anything you're leaving behind, like you know, a mindset around running restaurants, setting it up, you know, yourself as a leader in the industry? Is there anything you're leaving behind, identity, whatever? What the pandemic has taught me is that you know we have to be leaner. We have to really be clear about when we well, when it comes to sessions arts club. So we were about to open that before the pandemic struck. And we were we had all our staff, and we we had you know we're in we're in Clerkenwell, and there were thousands and thousands of people working there, going towards Farringdon Tube Station every day. We said to ourselves, if we got five percent of these people, we'd be really happy. And and then the pandemic struck, and uh, you know overnight everyone left the area and you know it's coming back there's no doubt about it and it will come back i have i i know it will come back i think offices they they thrive on having people there but at the moment it's not like that and so we are opening we're opening 18 months later um we're opening only three days a week we're opening with a handful of staff um and we're and we're very conscious of what we serve um and and you know we're wishing on a prayer that it'll work because we've been lucky we've been lucky with our partners and our investors um who have stuck with us which a lot of people wouldn't have after this length of time um but we also have to be very practical about what we can and can't do in these in the next few coming months you know i think it's gonna, it's a very interesting time i i i think the good restaurants the restaurants that really um, are providing interesting food and 
ambiance will make it through, hopefully. Um, and I think a lot will go by the wayside. And maybe that needed to happen. I mean, I'm not, you know, I, I don't wish ill of any restaurant. I, I think, you know, I mean, restaurants is, without doubt, they're a labour of love. People aren't doing it to, to become rich. They're doing it because um, they have this passion to provide these spaces uh, to serve great food and, you know, hospitality. And so, um, you know, I wish them all well, but I feel that some won't survive this period. It was interesting you, you you mentioned that you were starting off with from the outset with, you know, only three days open with a, a smaller group of staff. It's probably also because, as you said in the beginning, uh, there's not there's just no no hands available in the moment. But is, uh, do you think actually you're going to make better decisions because you're actually starting small and then you I guess you're evolving the model and the opening times from from there on and trying to build it? Do you think that's going to give you a better start than if you were started say like seven days a week, uh, three settings uh, a day? If that was the the thing. Well, yeah, I think I mean. In all honesty, I don't think we have a choice. Um, I, for me, I've always loved restaurants that are open from seven days a week, day and night. Even if you have quieter shifts on a Sunday night, I don't mind. I love the idea that if I feel like going to a restaurant, it's open. And I've always liked the idea of restaurants being open all afternoon because you know, I've worked in the West End a lot. I've worked in cities where they don't stop. And there are times, I, you know, one of my favorite times is to eat lunch at four o'clock when there's no one else there. I sit at a noodle bar, Koya, for example, and sit there and eat. And I'm, I feel I'm in heaven. And there's very few restaurants nowadays that are open like that. I understand why they're not, but it's annoying. So for me to be closed four days a week is, is very painful, really. But I know why we're doing it. it certainly, the staff problem has been exacerbated by the pandemic um and and I, i'm not the only pe person you know suffering like that i'm i'm a restaurant consultant as well and and lots of people are asking me to find them staff and and i don't know where these people are because they're not here anymore something like over a million people have left london in the last year so it's it, i think people are coming back but it's going to take time. Um, and I think they need to be made to feel very welcome here, um, which is might might take longer. Um, and so, yeah, it's 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 needs must when it comes to how, how, how often we open at the moment. Another interesting thing I took from what you said is that uh, that you actually also that you you've been looking at opening, even though people are not back yet, but you're starting up, you could maybe have waited, I guess, another month or two. Is there a reason for opening now here in August? Is there like a, a do you believe you need to get your feet in the, in the water now? And I think that we've we've postponed it so much, and we were so close to opening before this started. And you know, as it was, you know, we had all our staff, and we had to let them go. And it was without doubt. In you know, I've been around a long time. You know, around over yeah, about forty five years to be exact. And uh, and um, it was the worst day of my my catering life really to have to let people go who who we were just so on the cusp of something we thought was going to be magnificent and uh, but you know we had no choice um and now um now we just have to open and we have to be brave about it and we have to test the waters as, as you say when we were we will 
open more when we can. And that's what we hope to do. I hope to open seven days a week. That's what I want. That's what the business needs as well. I mean, in, in business, you're paying rent, you're doing all this stuff that you pay for every day. I mean, even closing the restaurant for a year, mothballing it, costs us a lot of money. Now, you know, as I say, we've been very lucky with our investors, but there's only so much you can do. Um, you know, people are only so patient. And so, yes, we have to uh, get going now. And we want to. We're excited about it. But it's going to take looking at it on a daily basis. Yeah. It, uh, also, uh, you talked a bit about uh, the change in the industry of uh, of type of restaurants. Um, there has been very big focusing on pre-pandemic uh the, the casual dining sector that was already in trouble. Uh, what do you think the future looks for, like for 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 rest types of restaurants? Because uh, is it a you know uh, less restaurant of better quality, uh, and then uh, less frequent visit from people to to restaurant as well? Because just from affordability kind of thing, people maybe going to be a bit squeezed on the wallet. We haven't really seen the the impact of pandemic Brexit yet. Well, exactly. I think I think, as you say, that sort of the mid-range restaurant will probably be the first to go. Um, I it's odd, you know. When I think of when I was young, going to a restaurant was such a treat, and you know, you dressed up, and it was it was such a special occasion, and and we look forward to it. And then you know, and and in other countries it wasn't quite like that, but it was like that in England. And then and then it changed, and I like the idea that it wasn't such a, a treat that actually. You can go to a restaurant anytime you like. And, you know, in when you're in the restaurant business, that's all you do. I mean, uh, I sort of spent 90% of my eating life in restaurants. Um, it's a surprise to me to go into a supermarket. But um, I think we're going to go back to that time now where they're going to be expensive. The, the, the quality of the food has got to be very special. It's got to be something you can't get in supermarkets. And supermarkets have upped their game. So there's some fantastic food, um, you know, ready meals that are, are excellent now. But I think restaurants have to be, they have to be an occasion. I think they have to, I think staff have to be on point, really have to know what they're doing. I think the quality of the food has to be really good. Um, and And I think, you know, we talked earlier about, what's on the menu and i think that people now you know the quality of meat the quality of fish has to be exceptional and it has to be you know not vast quantities of it because you know with the changes in the environment with the changes in the sort of transportation of food around the world we have to look at that and i think we have to go more local and you know we can't be eating strawberries in December. It's just we just have to be more conscious of what's being grown, what's being produced closer to home, uh, and and that, those are just you know whether I like it or not, that's what's going to happen. So we have to be in in tune with that. And I think restaurants and food has to be more expensive. And I, I know we don't like it, but you know it just has to be. So all of that is going to have an impact on what restaurants are out there. I think, and 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 and, and I. We can set the standards, and I think people will understand that. I think, in in general, um, restaurants have led the way in that way, and I think they'll continue to lead the way. But I think there's going to be a lot of fallout, really. Yeah. So, 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 what do you think is that we're not we're not done yet to see the the casualties of uh, the pandemic slash Brexit? I guess we can say call it. Absolutely not. And I mean, I mean, I, I, I. 
I think a lot of, not to get political, but I think a lot of people knew this was going to happen and they ignored it. And now we're, we're starting to see it happen. And, and I think there is an attitude where we, you know, hide our heads, you know, under the sand and we just let it go. But the truth of the matter is it's going to be, it's going to be very difficult to get the food that we're used to seeing. And so, you know, restaurants are going to suffer in that way. But so are households. I think we have to change our attitude. What is the, is there like any, like, a, you know, you open now over four decades, you know, a number of restaurants, you develop the concepts, you open them uh, as well. Uh, is there like any top key learnings that are still available? Because there's a lot of new people coming to the market as well. And also I know listening to the show, is there any like three key learnings you want to tell? You talked about in the beginning, you stick to your guns and your vision. Is there any like practical things that's like some key learnings people have to remember as they open restaurants? Well, I think I think one of the things is you know when we opened St John, we had a tight budget. I mean, it was it was a, a wonderful space to start off with. So it was a lovely empty space. Uh, it'd been a it'd been a smokehouse, um, but we didn't have a huge amount of money, and so we we bought what we could. And what we you know there were times where I know Fergus and I wanted to put in some lovely lino dalsupal lino on the floor in the bar and um and we couldn't really afford it so we polished the concrete and actually that's so st john now and and that's you know we we paid 15 pounds for chairs i remember and um and actually it's the best thing we did you can buy chairs now 150 200 pounds a chair it didn't didn't help what we we knew i think sticking to your budget is very important it doesn't matter. People will eat. And as we do when we go away, we, you know, we eat in these sort of grotesque-looking restaurants sometimes, but the food is so good, we never consider that we're sitting on these really uncomfortable stools or, you know, uh, or the light is so harsh because it's all strip lighting. We just do it because we love it. And I think that it's important to know what you can afford. I think it's important, as I say, sticking to your guns about what you're doing. It doesn't matter what you do. You just can't keep everyone happy. You can't you can't make everyone happy. So if you have a good idea about something, then do it. I mean, my my two boys are, well, all my family, my, my daughter as well, but my two boys are in, uh, they have a, a restaurant and they are very clear about what they do. And they, they have the, you know, they have the ability to do more, but they do what they do and they do it really, really well. And people come for that. And I do, I go to them because I want what they do, which is a chicken burger or a beef burger. And it's, it's spot on. It's fantastic. And that's, I think that's what you need to do. And they've taught me a lot in that way, actually. Um, what else would I do? I think integrity. I think, you know, going back to the staff, I think it's really important. You, you know, one can't be and one doesn't want to be at one's own restaurant all the time. So you have to really trust in the people that you leave to look after it and, and to make them part of that journey. Um, and so, you know, it's a family. It really is a family. I know that sounds trite, but it's a real, it is a family. It's a restaurant. And I know that for me, one of the things I'd say is however good the food is. I mean, we have the attitude about we go out to restaurants to eat and however good the food is, if, if the staff are, you know, rude or, or lazy or they're just not there, your meal is ruined. 
Um, and however good the food is, it makes no difference. Whereas if the food, the cooking's a bit off tonight, but the staff member has just been so hospitable, really understanding what that table wants, then that's what you remember. You, you remember the experience rather than the food. And that's an important thing for owners to remember is that if your staff are happy, then they're, they're looking after your customers in a happy way. And so, yeah, I'd say those sorts of things. <laughs> Oh, no, the three really good ones, John, because what I wrote down was like, you know, know your numbers and stick to the budget and uh, do one thing very well and uh, make people part of the model, as you already said. So I think that's three great advice. And I think often the, those three advice are forgotten when you start opening a restaurant. It becomes very technical about finding the property and, and so on, which is all important parts of it. There's nothing to stand alone. It's an ecosystem of things. But I think like if you remember those three things, I agree, you'll get. And then sometimes, you know, as you say, just find creative solutions. I think like, and don't think about the, if you build one, your first one, don't think about number 10 because it's not relevant. It's about that number one. And maybe it's not meant to be 10 because you don't know at that point if it actually can become 10 for many reasons. Absolutely. I mean, it's funny. I think if I, if you were asking me these questions 20 years ago, I'd say you open one and then you open 20 and then you sell. Okay. That's what you do. Uh, and you don't, you're not emotional about it. And now I say you open one, you love it and you, you know, and if you are to open another one, the second one you open is completely different to the first one. Um, and the successful people do that. They, and they, as you said, and I, you know, you reminded me of like Danny Meyer, um, in New York, who's, he's one of my heroes and, and someone I know, actually, I've worked with him on, um, some charity events on, on feed hungry, you know, feeding hungry people in America. Um, and, um, and his thing is that people that work for him become partners. They, and they, they take over the restaurants that they're working in. And I love that idea. And so you have, he, at one point, I mean, now he, he has Shake Shack, but, but before that he had like 12 restaurants in New York. They were all worked by people who had come through his sort of, you know, working academy, if you like. And uh, they loved him. They love him. And he made them part of it. And of course, that's the best way. So he, he steps away. He creates these environments that then people take on. And they were all fabulous restaurants and, and different types. And you know, that's, sort of, that's the sort of thing I'd like to do if I've got any, any time left, that is. <laughs> well, there's always time. I think uh, the Colonel, the one that created KFC, was 64 or 63 when he uh, created KFC, you know. So there's always time, you know. I like to think of myself as the colonel. Yeah. <laughs> um, so, so if we we just take it back to to today and uh, say, okay, well, the next twelve to eighteen months, John, in your perspective, if you have a crystal ball, what's going to happen in our industry? Well, I think we're reopening now. That, I mean, right now we haven't even opened up properly. Um, my um, my ex wife does uh, events. Um, uh, and all that hasn't come back yet. And that's going to be interesting. I mean, you know, groups of people, it's quite odd uh, watching the football where you see these thousands of people together. It's its very strange because I haven't been in crowds for a long time and I love going to football. So, um, so you know, we're going to have to live with the pandemic. There's no doubt that we're going to, there's going to be more of this. There's going to be a lot more people 
staying at home. So we're going to have to adapt to living with this illness. And there may be more on the way. I mean, I, I, I'd be surprised if this is the only one we get. Um, and restaurants are going to have to adapt. I, I was reading, no, actually, I was listening to something earlier on the radio where they were saying that um, property people are, are rushing around trying to find drive-through restaurants. They're trying to find spaces to open takeaways and drive-throughs because that's the new thing. And I mean, you know, as much as I've, I, you know, I get takeaway food, I know that that's not how I want to eat, really. Um, I'd rather cook or go to a restaurant. But I understand that you know, the lives that we lead now, that, that's, that's certainly going to have to be part of it. So, yeah, we're going to have to adapt. Restaurants are going to have to adapt to you know, people's needs. We're going to have to adapt the hours that people want. You know, lots of changes. But we are a flexible industry, I think. That's one thing about us. We're really, you know, we've got our, our heads to the ground. You know, we know what's going on. And we... I think we've been hit quite badly. Other industries have hit, I'm sure, have been hit worse, but we've been hit pretty badly throughout this. Um, and we've had to adapt, and a lot of people have. So um, we're just going to have to keep doing that. We're like sharks. <laughs> we just can't sleep. We keep moving on. That's interesting. So you actually think that we are we are moving forward, but we still have a lot of uh, corners to turn. That's not like a, 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 you can't put down a plan today and say that's where we are in 18 months because it's going to be thrown a couple of things into the mix you hadn't seen coming. No. Well, I mean, we're, I'm, we're, I, we're hoping with Sessions Arts Club that we open slowly, our staff get used to working again, because that's the other thing. A lot of people haven't been working. They're finding these hours like very hard you know normally in bed by 10 they're having to work till 12 or 1 you know so it's 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 difficult so we're going to grow again we start you know blooming again slowly and then hopefully the people will come back the rules will will lessen and we'll just get used to this new life and and you know and well it's going to take a t- it's going to take time i think things aren't going to be back to normal within the next year i don't think and hopefully we can keep going until then until we can you know make this a profitable bu- profitable business yeah, that's a super interesting your take on this um I wanted to uh, touch on something in the last part of our conversation about a bit more about you. Like, who has been, you know, it's always interesting to hear who, how you make yourself and who makes you. So, who has been most influenced to you over the years? The, the three people you can say that has the most influence on, on who you have become and what you've done? It seems, you know, I, I really like this question. Of, of all the questions, I like this question the most because I think uh, we are only. We are only people. We're made up of people that we've met in our lives, you know, and that that's true of all my personal life. It's true of my parental life. Everything is so. And I, I really, I wanted to be sort of specific about this as an answer, but then they're like, but I'm not going to be, Michael. I'm afraid because there's too many people in my life. You know, I'm very old. You have to ask a younger person this. But um, so I say, I, I mean, one of the first people. One, right? Okay. Fergus has got to be up there because Fergus Henderson, you know, I've known him. I knew him when he was 16 years old. I know we, we were friends and we talked about opening restaurants. Um, this was before he met Margot, actually. We talked about opening restaurants and he, he had been 
he'd eaten out in lots of restaurants and he had an attitude towards food. He wasn't a chef, he was an architect. But he, and he's just, he's talking around food. His parents had taken him to good restaurants. And, and, and I remember, you know, he took me to Sweetings in, in the city and we talked about how it worked in that restaurant. And the food, the food is good, it's not great, but the whole style of that restaurant is where the French house dining room came from. And I just loved our conversations. And he's, you know, as, as has as is well known, he is one of the food greats in the world. He really is. And it's, but it's basically from his heart. And that's what I love about him. Um, I mentioned Danny Meyer. And, and I love what Danny Meyer has done because he's, you know, his book, Setting the Table, is all about hospitality. And for me, this business is about hospitality. We can eat anywhere. We can go, you know, we can go to fast food chains and eat for three pounds or you know we can get a chicken for two pounds we can have a sandwich we can we can eat anywhere but when we're in a restaurant we're expecting an experience and Danny absolutely knows that about experience he knows it in terms of the hospitality he gives to people but he also knows it in terms of the way he treats his staff and on a, in, a, in a bigger scale how he treats the environment in terms of helping people you know, eat who are starving. And, you know, we think of America as a very rich country, but there are a lot of very hungry people there. And he helps that. And he, you know, he puts his money where his mouth is. And, I, and he's also one of the nicest Americans I've ever met. So and I love him. So I, I just think there's something. And, I, and, that, and that was someone I, I had to think about him, but certainly someone who's a, a, a big influence. But then the third person is an amalgamation of many, many, many people, okay? Because I've worked with some real greats. Um, Richard Corrigan for his sort of strength of character. I worked with Roly Lee. I worked with Jeremy Lee. I've worked with um, Margot and Angela Hartnett. I love her, her, her Yorkshire Italian food. I mean, just, there's so many people. Mary Sue Millican I worked with in, uh, in LA. Um, just fantastic people who have all Alistair Little, people who have given me a little all the time. You know, I've always picked up stuff from them. And, and that's how, you know, Eleanor at, uh, at um, L'Etoile. Faye Mashler is a very good friend, someone who has taught me lots about food. And, and that's what I've had to learn. I've, had, I've learned from, I feel, the greats in this business who are still around. So I'm, I'm afraid that's a bit of a cheeky answer, the last one, but it's just everyone. You know, I learned from conversing with you, Michael, earlier. I, I have to have an open mind. I really do. I have to listen because it's everywhere. And actually, one of the three people I was going to say, and I, I think this is sort of, well, of course, it's nepotism, but my, my children have taught me a lot. They're, they're all in catering. Um, my daughter is um, a manager at Koya. Um, so she's, you know, teaches me about all that goes on there. And my two boys have opened their place and they and they work so hard. And, you know, we talk about, you know, catering and restaurants in our life all the time. And my wife's at the Rochelle Canteen. So the whole, you know, our family, ex-wife, excuse me, um, uh, is, uh, you know, we've always talked about it. It's always been part of our nature, as, you know, as it was when I was a child with my parents. So. In a way, I learned from everyone. That's, that's, I think it's a super interesting answer because, of course, you grow with the people you meet and you are 
only you know as valuable as the people you're together with is first who and then what in principle always and that that wraps up on you uh, in a way uh, i know it for myself like leaving a country that transition i probably learned more than i did before i left that country just because and you know that moving to the us as well that just making that decision actually starting from scratch it's such a valuable lesson in life that you can't even, you know, you can't even get a certificate on that. So, yeah, I think that was a really interesting answer. We never had that answer before. So I think that was really interesting. What, what, I just want to throw an extra question in there. So if you were, because I know you mentioned Danny Maya setting the table, is that also the book you would give people nine out of 10 times if you're giving a present away to a hospitality person? Absolutely. I, I without doubt, I would give it to, uh, people who are working in restaurants, I give it to like the maitre d and the waiters, and and I think that's quite it's quite telling the people who would read it and get something from it. They're very small incidences of where you can step over, you can do something above and beyond, and that's the things that people remember. There's a great story in his book about about returning. I think it's a wallet or a pair of glasses to the person who's left it behind in the restaurant and returning it to their hotel. And those are the stories that people remember. I remember um, I remember working with Eddie Hart at Quo Vardis and he was saying that if, if a dish, if a meal of, let's say a table of four and a meal doesn't arrive on time, the other three people are eating, then you comp the whole meal for all four of them. And those are the stories that people come away with and say. And we have to remember that as much as we need profit to make these things work, we need generosity. Restaurants are about generosity. Food is about generosity. And so we have to be, um, you know, we have to step over the mark when it comes to that, I think. And that's what he's taught me. And then that's the book that I would, without doubt, I mean, there's some, there's some great books out there, but that's the one that has stood the test of time, I'd say. Great, great. Very interesting. Uh, generosity. That's a very interesting mix again, talking about the role of, of restaurants in the in the future. What about you yourself, John? How do you get, make yourself keep going? You know, you mentioned that we are like sharks. We would just keep on. We, we never sleep. Uh, how do you keep yourself in the impact? So like, you know, 80% of the time, because, you know, you, you there is something called balance, no matter what. But how do you keep that balance and make sure that you show up the best you can be every day? Well, it's funny, you know, if I was on my own and I was thinking, what am I doing in this restaurant business? I think well, I would say to myself, why am I doing this? And then, and then I have a conversation like this or many conversations I have with people. You know, I, my children have friends and they want to talk about restaurants and I end up talking to them and I just get re-infused again. There's something about it. It's a bit like the mafia. You know, you try to get away, but they just drag you back. And there's something about restaurants that, that I still get a real thrill. When I'm in a restaurant, if I'm working, let's say I'm working on the front of house and I'm at the, you know, at the maitre d' desk and I'm, I see a busy restaurant of people having great conversation and drinking and eating, I get a thrill. Every day is very different. So, you know, I'm not sure I get into the impact zone when I'm on my own, but when I'm there, I feel it. And, and I have always felt it. There's something about it. You know, people that aren't in this business don't really understand it because they feel like, like, you know, you're working weekends, you're working out late hours, but we are working when everyone else is enjoying themselves. And there's something really thrilling about that. Um, 
So I've always, I've always, I've always enjoyed it. I can't, I sort of, I, I can't believe I'm the age I am, um, but still really get a thrill out of working in restaurants. It's, it's quite odd. Um, though I prefer to be a consultant right now, I have to say, than, uh, than someone who has to do long, long shifts. Yeah, well, I like that idea. You actually you thrive by the uh, the experience and being together with, with other people, and that's a bit like what really makes you makes you going and actually take you up to your best game. Coming from that, um, one of my, my my last questions to you is that uh, what what uh, advice would you give leaders out there? You have four decades of experience. We are now we're probably in the middle of a pandemic. You said we're probably not done yet. What would be your top advice to leaders out there in the in the industry? Right. Well, I mean, if it was about owners, I'd have to say that really think about why you want to open a restaurant because I think there is some vanity projects involved in opening a restaurant and I feel that that is a mistake. Um, I, You know, restaurants cost a lot of money to open and, and they take a long time to make money. And I feel that um, that people who invest in restaurants have to know that this isn't a money-making business really um if you want to make money you're more likely to bet on a on a lame horse than you are on a restaurant business so i'd say be be wary of thinking of it as a money-making thing um i would say for you know i think the people that i've worked with they understand the commitment it takes and there there are certain types of people that just put on a happy face and they get on with it every day and that's those are the people you want to work with but i think that very soon very very quickly you find that people aren't suited to this business and i understand it it's not for everyone so i i i my experience of having hired lots and lots of people um you very quickly know if they're suited to this business and i and i and i you know and actually, I've seen people change where they are. You know, they start on the floor and they end up in the kitchen or vice versa. And they're much happier. So it's to find the level of what they want from it, from the business. Um, and I, I, you know, I say be very thoughtful about what you want to do in the restaurant business. Really have a clear idea. I, you know, when we opened... Um, when we've opened this, when we've opened the Sessions Arts Club, my partner, who was introduced to me from my Mary Sue, he's an artist, um, and he, but he was very clear about what he wanted to do, and that's what we're trying to do here. You know, and I think have make sure your ideas are solid, and and and, and not to waver, because that's the problem. Um, I feel a lot of times that that's what happens. It opens in one way. I mean, it's interesting when we opened St John. We didn't know who was going to come there. We thought there were going to be a lot of our friends who had been at the French House dining room and we thought it was going to be a much more arty crowd. I mean, it was an arty crowd, but it was also a businessman crowd. I mean, they, you know, they went for the clarets and the meat and they loved, that's the thought. Now, those weren't the customers that we felt that we were going to get. But we got them, and you know, and we love them because they were there all the time. But it's you know, you can have a vision about what you want, but you're not necessarily going to get what you want, and you have to be able to cater for what you get. So that's an important point, I think. Yeah, so put the the customer in the center of uh, things as they involve, and actually listening to what they want in more than what you want, because that's not relevant if you want to have long-term relationship with them. 
to an extent that is. I mean, I'm not I'm not very keen on the customer is always right. In my opinion, often they're not. But but I do feel that you have to um, understand what they want and and be clear about what you're prepared to do. You know, and that's not about not being hospitable. It's about being clear about your vision. Um, and 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 people get it. People get it. You know, they like it. They like your clarity. Yeah, I think also that's why they buy into it. Like when they're like Danny Myers, as you mentioned, very clear vision about what he wants to do. And that's what people buys into. And then it's just improving the execution of that vision all the time. 1% better every day. I think he talks about a lot as well, Danny Meyer, which I'm also a very big fan of. Um where can people find out more, John, if they want? Uh, because we couldn't cover four decades of of knowledge and insights here. Where the where where is the more information? Where can they find you on social and so on? Well, I'm on I'm on uh, Instagram and Twitter, um, and I'm always. I mean, if people want to find me, I would love to talk to people about. You know, this is my favorite subject. There is no doubt about it, and I would anyone that wants to you know, DM me, I would be very willing to meet up for uh, a soft drink and a chat because I, I, you know, I take this seriously and I, you know, I, lo- I love it. It's my world. So without a doubt, you know, definitely. Great, great, great. John, we'll put everything in the, in the show notes as well and so, so people can find it out there. Please, yeah, please. I, you know, I would love to hear from them. Yeah, John, uh, it's been absolutely incredible uh, having this conversation with you, somebody with such a long career and approach to, to hospitality and putting you know the hospitality into the center of what we do, the human into the center of what we do, uh, and all the, all your great advice. I, I, I remember top of my head, you know, number you know your numbers and the budget, do one thing well. Uh, clarity and vision there and then make sure that your your people are part of the journey i send you uh, and the team at a session and all your partners uh power and energy for the times ahead uh i'm sure you're gonna do absolutely great but uh and i'm looking forward to, to catch up soon well thank you very much michael it's been a real joy talking to you thank you so much john for your insights and story and great advice I would recommend you now to sit down with pen and paper and ask yourself, how can I keep finding the love for the industry and my business? If you want to learn more about how to be a great indie operator, tune in to episode number 13 and 14, Staying True to Mushimo with Carl Jones, who is the owner of Mushimo. If you enjoyed today's conversation, please share, rate, review, or subscribe to one of our channels. A big thank you to BizSimply for supporting us bringing great insights, strategies and tools to help the industry thrive, not just survive. Check them out at BizSimply.com or on their social at BizSimply or BizSimplyHQ. You can also email them directly on advice at BizSimply.com. A big thank you to Fina Charlson, who is the show producer and editor from the Podcast Collective. Without you, all this wouldn't happen. Tune in next time for another interview and in the meantime, find out more about us and subscribe to the newsletter and download free leadership tool at hospitalitymavericks.com. And don't worry, if you didn't get all of this, there will be links in the show notes. Thank you and be maverick.